What's going on guys? Welcome back to Consuming Crime with Jen and Jules. It is Jules here. I am recording Casey Anthony part two for the second time because the first time the quality was just so echoey. I don't even know how it happened. I tried to figure it out for a couple hours and then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to re-record it. It's fine. It's not the end of the world. So before we get started, make sure you give us five stars wherever you are listening and check us out on the Patreon. Five dollars, you get two bonus episodes a month. Seven dollars, you get that plus ad free of a regular feed. And twelve dollars, you get all that plus not only do you get to listen to me tell the story, you get to watch me tell the story. So without further ado, let me get this Chromebook open and let me record this again. So we last left off with they had just found skeletal remains of a small toddler but we do not know yet who the skeletal remains belong. This documentary can be viewed on Hulu. The original publishers was um, Investigate Discover Investigation Discovery Network, I think is what it's called, but now it's a three-part series on Hulu. I'm not sure exactly what it's called, what they call it, but it's the Casey Anthony documentary on there. The episode starts off with Jose Bias hosting a press conference, and he does a lot of these throughout the case. And in the background, Casey is crying over what? I don't know, but not her dead missing toddler. He says something along the lines of after you guys find out what really happened on the night of her disappearance, everything will finally make sense and everyone will finally understand. Which is how are you going to justify the death of a 2-year-old? But go ahead, go off sis. On December 11, 2008 is when they discovered the skeletal remains of a toddler. Now Dr. G is back being interviewed. Her name is Dr. Jan Garavalia. She says there's no soft tissue on the bones, which means it's been there for a while. And she does in fact confirm in her press conference that the skeletal remains do belong to that of Kaylee Anthony, the two-year-old little girl that's been missing for a couple of months now. She's able to rule that the manner of death is homicide. The reason she's able to rule this is because of a piece of duct tape found on the skeletal remains, which we will get into later on. However, there's not enough detail for her to determine the cause of death. So she's not able to tell us if it was suffocation, if the little girl drowned, if it was... Um, she is able to say it wasn't blunt force trauma only because of the fact that there was no hard markings on the actual bones. Cindy is, to this day in the interview, still upset. She cries, and again, this is Kaylee Anthony, the little girl's grandmother, Casey's mother. This is a genuine reaction, by the way, of a relative who loses a loved one, right here. After this is confirmed, police get a warrant to their house, and they go into Kaylee's room, which was Winnie the Pooh themed. I don't know if I mentioned this in the last episode, uh, but with the body, or with the skeletal remains, they did find a baby blanket, which had Winnie the Pooh and Piglet on his shoulders, and a laundry bag, and I believe it was two trash bags. So when they went into Kaylee's old room, they found it was Winnie the Pooh themed, which tells them whoever did this had also been in the house. They also found the same laundry bag, which they find out is sold at like a major retailer, and it's sold in pairs, which means one was at the Anthony house, and one was in the wooded area with the toddler. Now Casey is being faced with first-degree murder, and under Florida law, which I had not heard of up until this case, 
Attorneys are required to disclose everything to the media, including documents, affidavits, things like that, which makes the jury selection that much more difficult. People being interviewed, like uh, reporters that were being interviewed in the documentary were saying that at this point, Jose Baez had not been that experienced, which I'm actually, I'm actually curious. I know that I covered the case, but it's such a blur because Jose Baez didn't defend Aaron Hernandez in his original homicide case. He defended him in the double homicide after the fact. Okay, that was 2017, so Aaron Hernandez was after Casey Anthony. On May 9th, 2011 is when jury selection began. Like I said, how are they going to select an impartial jury with all the media attention? The way they did this is similar to, I think, the way that they did the O.J. Simpson case, where they, they had to find jurors outside of the state and fly them in. The condition was those jurors had to live where the case was being held at, so they couldn't see their family, they couldn't watch TV, they couldn't talk to other jurors. It was kind of like flying them in and quarantining them. They allowed the parents of Casey Anthony in the room because they had reserved seating for family members. They had reserved seating for the press and they also had reserved seating for the public, which they gave out as like a lottery type of system. People were actually in the front of the courtroom like physically fighting to get a seat on the Casey Anthony case, which is, I can understand wanting to be a part of the hype maybe, but like you're gonna fist fight somebody. Okay, it just seems like they're over glorifying this chick. Now it's time for opening statements. The prosecuting attorney says, when you take the lies, you take the car, you take the remains, it's simple to determine what happened. And as hard as it is to believe that a mother would harm her own child, if you look at everything collectively, it's simple, what happened. And this whole time they're talking, Casey's just kind of shaking her head like, no. Like, yes, you did that. There is a question of why, however. So with first degree murder, you have to prove not only that there was a murder, but that there was a motive. More importantly is the motive because that's the first degree part. The prosecution plays a tape of an interview with a woman named Keel Marie Cruz. This woman is an old friend of Casey. She was friends with her around the time that she was pregnant with Kaylee. And she's telling police about the pregnancy and how Casey wanted to give her up for adoption. She did not want this child. And her mother told her, no, you need to keep her. And I guess because she was living under her mother's household, she just kept her. The motive is that Casey wanted a child-free life and they felt that their evidence was really strong, which we'll get into more of that a little bit later. Now Jose Baez is up for the defense. He says, this is where the big, big bombshell drops. And even I forgot how she quote unquote got away with it. But I want you guys to hear what Jose Baez accounts and what he theorizes according to what his client has told him. Kaylee Anthony was never missing. Cindy was at work. George and Casey were at home. They start looking for Kaylee. They cannot find her. George finds her in the pool and she's not breathing. Casey comes around and sees her daughter had drowned and she was in George's arms at this point. George takes Kaylee from the pool and starts yelling at Casey, look what you've done, your mother's never going to forgive you, you're going to jail for neglect for the rest of your life. To which I say, if George was so hell-bent on putting Casey in jail, according to these words, why wait the 31 days to report her missing? I guess the answer is that Casey begged George to help her. George 
ended up saying he would, and he was the one that disposed of Kaylee Anthony's remains. Casey had nothing to do with it. Come on! This is just like this story. I mean, you would have to ignore the car. You would have to act like the car does not exist. You would have to ignore all of Casey's lying. You would have to ignore Zanny the nanny, the the partying while her daughter's missing. Like, oh my god. Let's continue. This is also something that George used to do to old pets. That's what Jose Baez said. I'm not saying that Jose said that, which is rude. That's not something you need to say, comparing a pet to a human life. He acknowledges the fact that Casey is a liar. And the reason that she's a liar is, according to him, because George, her father, taught her to lie at a very young age. She was taught to lie to hold a deep family secret. Really quick, you guys, I interrupt this program to introduce you to today's sponsor. It is Consuming Crime's very first sponsor, and that is Audible.com, which is an Amazon-owned company. They are the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Every month, you get one free credit, and with our code, Consuming Crime, you can get one month free and one free audiobook. I actually use Audible myself. I don't really have time to sit down and read a book. I'm constantly moving around and, you know, doing school, work, the podcast, things like that. Right now, I am currently reading a book written by Don Miguel Ruiz Jr. I love a lot of his works, and the one I'm reading right now is called The Mastery of Self. I am obsessed with self-development, self-growth, and this book really teaches you about knowing who you are, knowing, you know, what you have to offer the world, and just knowing that, you know, no one's better than anyone ever, and I think it's really good to just be self-aware. With that being said, again, go on and head over to audibletrial.com slash consumingcrime and get your free audiobook on us completely. Again, that is audibletrial.com slash consumingcrime. Now, back to the story. And that secret was, when Casey was eight years old, her father touched her. His words, not mine, he says, she could be 13 years old, have had her father's penis in her mouth, and then go to school and play with the other kids as if nothing had ever happened. George's face in the courtroom when Jose Baez says this, he looks equally pissed and disappointed. For the record, I do not think George ever sexually assaulted his daughter. Casey's crying probably because she feels like a piece of shit, which she should. Sorry, I have to bleep that out now. And in the interview today, well not today, but in the documentary, they ask George point blank again, have you ever sexually assaulted your daughter Casey Anthony? He says no, he has not. They call George to the stand. He's called by the prosecution as a witness. They ask him about the assault. He says no. They ask him, were you in your home when Kaylee died? George says no. When I heard that today, it hurt really bad. And right now it looks like he's on the verge of tears, which bums me out. They were warned, according to Cindy, they were warned that Baez was going to use George, but George is like a, a, a scapegoat. So they were aware of what Baez was going to bring up, but to hear it is a whole a whole nother thing, I'm sure. In the interview now, he's saying, I would never do that to her. And to hear him say that about me, I wanted to get up and 
he kind of like shakes his hands a little bit and says do something to him so obviously he wanted to beat him up but he can't say that the prosecution's other defense in denying those allegations they showed the courtroom a video of them talking while she was in jail and she's saying things like i love you you are such a great dad you are the best grandfather don't let anybody tell you otherwise i'm sorry we haven't been so close lately like just talking to him not like someone who was assaulted in their childhood since the prosecution called up george as a witness now it's the defense's turn to cross-examine him Baez asked George in late January of 2009, which would put a month between the finding of her remains and this day, he says, you tried to commit suicide. George seems shocked at this question. I don't think they brought this up to him. In his defense, he says he could not function after he found out his granddaughter was dead. He went to a hotel, he wrote a letter, and the letter consisted of things like, I miss my granddaughter, I should have done more, why is she gone? Um, he drank, swallowed a bunch of pills, and he also wrote, Kaylee, here I come. And at the stand, George is losing it in tears. He is so upset. To me, it's like a man who's full of guilt for potentially being the one that raised somebody that could do this to a little girl. It, it does not at all seem like guilt of what he did to Kaylee. It doesn't. Now in the interview, George and Cindy are sitting together and they're holding hands. And this is where, you know, they're talking about Kaylee and they're talking about the note. But again, I don't think that this at all makes him look guilty. I think it just makes him, makes him human. He's grieving over the death of his granddaughter and essentially the death of his daughter because she's not at all who he thought she was. I mean, what are you supposed to do when your blood, your flesh, your child turns out to be this monster. What are you supposed to do? Not only that, but I'm not sure if I mentioned, George used to be a detective. So he knows, you know, morally, he can't defend her. Like he can try, but we'll get into it in part three, but he can't defend her. The prosecution is back and they are now focusing on the car. They took everything. They said the smell, the cadaver dog, the trunk, and I have to mention this, you guys, the documentary says, like the narrator says, to prove it in a court of law, they needed physical proof. I have to put this out there to whoever's listening. That is not true. Circumstantial evidence weighs, or it should weigh, the same as physical evidence. The only reason that they're saying that is because the jury consists of people that consume media, including myself, and a lot of mainstream media teaches you that physical proof weighs more than circumstantial, and it's just not true. I've taken several administration of justice classes, several crime scene classes, several paralegal classes, and I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, it's the most frustrating thing in the world for a prosecuting attorney to have to put so much effort into physical evidence when that can be tampered with as well. Like, it's the same, guys. So if you're ever in a jury, look at them and put them together. If there's both circumstantial and physical, that's freaking awesome if it lines up. But if there's no physical and like, you guys look at Scott Peterson, watch that case again. He only gets convicted from circumstantial. Anyway, I'm sorry, I had to like point that out. That I didn't like hearing that in the documentary. To continue, the stain and the samples were all sent to a scientist that studies decomposition. His name is Dr. Arped Voss. 
Dr. Voss is developing techniques and he used some of these new techniques on this case. The chemicals in the fabric were tested for decomposition and they tested positive. There was in fact decomposition in the car. The hairs were sent in for testing. What's interesting about the hairs is they can only test for mitochondrial DNA, which means they can only test for maternal DNA. They confirmed that the hair belonged to either Cindy the grandmother, Casey the mother, or Kaylee the little girl. Which is weird because I'm pretty sure we've covered cases where the hair confirmed it belonged to one person, but let's continue. This hair was also 9 inches long, light brown, and untreated. Cindy's hair is blonde, obviously treated. Casey, I'm positive she's dyed her hair at least once in her life, so it could only be Kaylee's. There was also a band, a dark band, close to the root, and this was known to be a decomposition band, only attached to that of a skull that, was, that had passed on. Dr. Voss completed analysis of the fabric and he detected chloroform, which is found in decomposition, but according to him, there was more than usual. Police also found searches at the Anthony home for how to make chloroform. This indicates premeditation. I don't know how they're gonna prove that Casey was the one that made these searches. However, circumstantial, it looks bad. Dr. G is now called to the stand. She says there is no trauma to the bones, but the skull did have duct tape on the lower part of the jaw, indicating that there was most likely covering the nose and the mouth. I know it's gonna get like morbid guys, just bear with me. If this truly was an accident and the little girl drowned, why are you gonna go the extra step and put duct tape on her mouth? That's the biggest question that the prosecution has right now. They also presented a video to have the jury visualize the tape over her nose and mouth. So they had a video that transitioned from Kaylee Anthony's face smiling to her face with the duct tape over her nose and mouth to her skull with the duct tape on the lower jaw. According to the prosecution and what I think most likely happened, sometime in the afternoon, Casey used chloroform to render her unconscious. She put duct tape over her nose and her mouth, wrapped her in the Winnie the Pooh blanket, put her in a laundry bag, then a trash bag, then another trash bag, put her in the trunk of her car, went to her boyfriend's house, leaving the little girl out there all night, and then the next night went and disposed of the body. And there's still the question of why. So now we're going to get into the child-free life theory. In those 31 days, what did she do? They called Tony Lazaro to the stand, which is the boyfriend. I don't know if they're still together at this point. I don't think so. On the 16th, which was the day Kaylee went missing, they went to go rent movies at a local blockbuster. They show the security footage as well, and she just looks like a giddy girl with her boyfriend. Like, PDA, some cuteness, nothing. She does not look stressed at all. And they asked him, how was she acting on that day? He said she was totally happy, she did not at any point cry, nor did she mention Kaylee or any concern of where Kaylee might be. Clint is back being interviewed in the documentary. And this was, remember, this was Tony's roommate and Casey's friend. Tony and Clint were DJs, and Casey would go with them oftentimes to clubs. One night, they had a hot body contest. This is where you get the infamous blue dress uh, photo of her. She's partying having the time of her life, and the significance of this night is this was after Kaylee reportedly went missing. On top of that, if that is not bad enough, they call a tattoo artist by the name of Bobby Williams to the stand. 
and he tells them about this tattoo that she got again after her daughter had reportedly went missing this tattoo said bella vita which means a beautiful life a beautiful life like what kind of that's like celebrating is that not like celebrating maybe i shouldn't make assumptions maybe she's like okay i killed her and she lived a beautiful life like you know it's morbid it's morbid regardless of how you look at it but that was part two uh i hope you guys enjoyed part three will be up next week and um <laughs> i got myself a little hype towards the end so i'm gonna have to go drink some water but yeah um make sure you give us five stars wherever you are listening and check us out on the patreon five dollars you get two bonus episodes a month seven dollars you get that plus our regular feed ad free and the $12 level, you get all that. And not only do you get to listen to me tell a story, you get to watch me tell the story. That's it for today, guys. Thank you for consuming crime with me. And you'll hear me next week.